Hey everybody, good morning. The hero of the story is a guy named Joseph. That's the good news. The bad news is he's in prison. Joseph is in prison for something he didn't do. He's accused of sexual assault and he ends up in jail. He's falsely accused and in the story we're gonna to read today, he starts off in prison and he ends up in prison at the, end of this, at the end of this chapter. He's still there for a long period of time. And, you know, it's just not fair. And sometimes we all face things that aren't fair. Here's something that happened to me. It wasn't fair. I lost my health insurance once. Yeah, through a technicality, I lost, my, I lost my health insurance. That's not fair. In fact, one time I got chewed out by somebody else for something that I didn't do. Has that ever happened to any of you? Chewed out for something you didn't do? Yeah, so sometimes life just isn't fair, and that's what's happening to Joseph as well. Life just isn't going the way that he thinks it should be. And often we think that way. It's not fair that kids aren't in school. Okay, a lot of you feel that way because you're wondering what's happening to our school season. It just isn't, just isn't fair. Or you get sued by somebody else, right? There's some, a car crash, something, you get sued, and it's an accident, and it's just not your fault. And sometimes we all experience that life isn't fair. And what we're going to look at today is Joseph's life, and he's a case study. It's a case study in uh, dealing with these kinds of situations when life simply isn't fair. So he's in jail. He's in prison. He's in an Egyptian prison. He's in a political prison, by the way. And he has no chance to escape. He has no chance to make an appeal. There's no other jury or judge or defense attorneys coming to his aid. They don't have those things back then. So what do you do when you're in a situation like that? What are you going to do? And I read the story and I think, oh, Joseph, don't sweat it, man. You're going to be out in no time. But here's the thing. Joseph doesn't know that. He doesn't know he's getting out. He doesn't know how long he's going to be there. Is it going to be a few weeks, a few months? And I read the story and I think, Joseph, it's all going to work out, man. Don't worry. But he doesn't know that. I mean, when his brothers throw him into the pit in the previous chapter, he's down there 20 feet from the top. There's nobody there to say, God doesn't come alongside and say, oh, Joseph, you know, don't worry. You're going to rise up to be prime minister of Egypt. No, don't sweat the small stuff, you know. Here's the end of the story. Genesis chapter 50 says this, you intended to harm me. He's talking to his brothers. But God intended it for good because out of that many lives are going to be saved. This famine is coming and I'm going to develop a plan that saves people's lives. That's what happens to us, by the way, sometimes. We get in a situation, we feel like we're trapped in prison. Life isn't fair. This situation isn't working out. My contact, my context isn't very good. It's just not where I want to be in life. And you don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know the future. And in that sense, you're very much like Joseph. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't have this whisper in your ear going, you know what, next year at this time, you're gonna have a fantastic job. Next year at this time, you're gonna find the right major that you want to in college. Joseph doesn't have that whisper that says from the Lord, hey, don't worry about it. You're going to be prime minister of Egypt. You're gonna be vice president. You're gonna be an executive. Here's the outline of the chapter we wanna talk about today. And it starts in jail, two men, two dreams. One lives, one dies. One man forgets in jail. We kind of have this book in things. Joseph starts in jail, he ends up in jail. And we have all these activities going on. He's stuck in prison, he's waiting on God. I think the hardest thing to do is to wait. 
The hardest thing to do is to be patient for God to do something. The hardest thing, I think, for a Jesus follower is to wait on God to do something that you believe God said that he would do. Here's our big idea today. Here's what we're going to talk about. God never hurries. So hurry up and wait. I used to hear that phrase all the time when I was a kid. Just hurry up and wait. I don't like that phrase. I don't like waiting. Nobody here likes to wait. We have enough things to wait on in life. How do we hurry up and wait? Why is it that God is not in a hurry? What is it that you're waiting on today? Yeah, what is it you're waiting on today? Are you patiently waiting for something? You're waiting to graduate. You're waiting to pay off student debt. You're waiting to get the job that you really want. You're waiting to get into a college program that you think is just right for you. You're waiting to get a loan for the car that you really want. You're waiting to get that house that you would really like. You're waiting to start a family. You're waiting to find that special person on eHarmony or Bumble or Tinder. I don't know what the latest one is these days, but one of those, one of those, right? Looking at one of my friends going, I don't know which one, Steve. So, right, right? So you're just waiting. You're waiting for your spouse to love you. You're waiting for your kids to come home. You're waiting for something to change. And it's just gut-wrenching at this point. We spend enough time waiting, right? We spend enough time. We wait at stoplights. We wait at Costco. We wait in the doctor's office. We were just filled with waiting. So let's jump into the story, and we're going to talk about Joseph and his time in this prison and that how he has to wait because God is not in a hurry to get him out. So Joseph has to learn to wait. So here at Genesis chapter 40, verse 1, it says, Sometime later, so Joseph had been in prison for a while, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned Joseph to them, and he attended to them. So we have this, this backdrop to the story. So the reason I said it's a political prison is because political appointees, a cupbearer and a baker, those are high-ranking government officials. They end up in the same prison as Joseph. So he's able to rub shoulders with the right people, but he doesn't understand that at this time. In fact, Joseph's going to have to wait for a while in prison. What do you do when you're waiting? Here's point number one. If you're taking notes, point number one, stay faithful to God's word. So when you're in this place of waiting, you have to remember, what has God told you? What are the promises of God? And trust God, trust God's word to you. How long was Joseph in prison? Anybody know? So here's the thing that I figured out math-wise. So Joseph is 17 when he ends up at Potiphar's house. And then he's 30 when Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, recruits him or gets him to be the person in charge of all the food distribution for Egypt. He rises to being prime minister, executive vice president of the country. So there's a 13-year window here. So he's in prison at least 13 years. Let's say he spends a few years with Potiphar, maybe a year or two, and then he ends up in prison. So that's 10, 11 years. He's in an Egyptian prison. They don't, it's, it's a rough place. It's, it's, it's a harsh place. And that's where Joseph ends up. And we need to understand that. 
And for Joseph, he's just thinking it's just another day in prison because now I got more prisoners coming, some are going, some prisoners get executed, and then we have the the cupbearer and the baker, and I keep wanting to say the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, but so more people are coming. It's just another day there. And Joseph doesn't see, he doesn't know, we know the story. He doesn't see that the cupbearer is going to be his key to getting out of prison. But Joseph in this difficult place, and I think what keeps him going is he remembers the dream that he had where God told him that he would be in charge of what's going on. See, we have this idea sometimes when we're waiting that there's this perfect never-never land out there. Some of you are dreamers. You're just dreaming about this. You're dreaming about a better future, but you're not acting on it. You're just dreaming and dreaming and dreaming. And you're thinking if you're single and you want to be married, you're thinking, well, that special person's going to be out there and just sweep me off my feet. This person's going to be head over heels for me. And even though you've been waiting all of a sudden, boom, you're just thinking it'll just, it'll just kind of happen. You're just kind of thinking that way. And in the meantime, you become passive and you just kind of sit in your chair and do nothing. I was reading, I've been reading sermons by Martin Luther King lately, and one of them, he talks about if it falls, you can tell it's a little dated. He says, if it's your lot in life to be, lot in life to be a street sweeper, then be the best street sweeper you can be. Be the kind of street sweeper that Michelangelo was to art, that Beethoven was to music. Be such a great street sweeper that heaven notices and say, there's a person who was a fantastic street sweeper. Now, the point of that King was making is simply this. Whatever God has for you to do, do it well. Whatever it is, just keep at it. And sometimes we get stuck in a prison, we get stuck uh, waiting, and we're not trusting and we're grabbing for this and grabbing for that. But God had spoken to Joseph in a dream and said, you will be the leader of your family, the leader of a great nation. And he was clinging to that. If God has told you something in his word, you can take that to the bank. Believe it to be true. I don't know how many people I've had in my office over the years, and they're dealing with doubts and concerns, and I'll open the Bible and turn it to, just read that verse. And then I'll say this, was God lying to you when he said that? And of course, because I'm a pastor and they're in the pastor's office, they'll never say, well, yeah, God was lying to me. They'll say, okay. And I'll say, you see, since Jesus said it, it's going to happen. And Jesus said it, and it's true. So the key now is to wait. Here's what happens next. Verse 4, Genesis chapter 40. It says this, after they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker, the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meeting of its own. So we have these dreams that are going to start happening in prison. So these two political appointees, by the way, a cupbearer was like the chief of staff. I'll put it that way. And they would, obviously, they would sometimes drink the same wine and test the food, make sure the king wouldn't be poisoned, but make no mistake about it, they were a close confidant. And he had done something to irritate the Pharaoh and throws him in prison for a while. The baker, by the same token, was a high-ranking official as well. He was like the deputy chief of staff. <laughs> he cooked all the food. 
he did something to irritate Pharaoh. You see, today, we have different political appointees. We don't think of these positions as high-ranking things. But they were in the, in the country of Egypt. And that's who the, the, the baker and the cupbearer is. So Joseph has to trust what God had told him years ago. Here's the second thing we do when we're waiting, because God is not in a hurry. Be ready to jump in. When you're waiting for God to do something, when you see something that needs to be done, God puts something right in front of you, jump in. And that's what Joseph does. Look at this. In verse 6 it says, When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So we see this right here. They were dejected, dejected. They were people who were somber. They were sad. They were emotionally empty. And Joseph recognizes this, and Joseph has compassion on them. He's ready to jump in. Are you, are you that kind of a person? Do you run across people and you go, I don't have time for you? I don't have time for that. Or are you even paying attention? Are you even paying attention to people who need some encouragement? So... He asked Pharaoh's officials, verse 7, who were in custody with him in the master's house, Why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there was no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. There are dreams all throughout the story of Joseph. So he has two dreams in chapter 37. He dreams that he's going to be in charge of his brothers. He's the youngest one. He has these dreams, and it makes his brothers hate his guts. They sell him into slavery. And then he's in the prison here, and two different people have dreams. And then in a couple chapters later, Pharaoh has a dream. He has two dreams. So there are six dreams in the story of Joseph. And in the ancient world, dreams were very important. So today we have the Word of God. We have a Bible. God is speaking to us, but often during that period of time, God would speak to people through dreams. So God is speaking to Joseph, God is speaking to the cupbearer and to the baker, and they're going to share their dreams with him. And I find it interesting that Joseph is so willing to interpret these dreams, and I think the reason he's willing to do this is because he still believes in the dream that God gave him. He's still believing in that. I mean, he could have said this, you know what, I had a little experience with dreams, just give it up. Forget about it. Just toss it in. Don't pay any attention to that. He, he could have said that, but he didn't because he still believes that the dream that he had is true. And he's not arrogant about it. Did you notice that? He says, do not all interpretations come from God. So he's not saying, I know everything and I can interpret this. He says, God knows everything and God can interpret this. And so he's leaning on God. So Joseph is in prison, and did you know amazing things can happen in prison? In fact, there's this guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was, in the 1930s and 40s, a staunch opponent to Adolf Hitler, and he's a pastor, and he ends up in, in a concentration camp, and some of his best writings came out of prison. Some of the best stuff came out of prison with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Or this other guy named Chuck Colson. He went to jail for Watergate, President Nixon. And Colson was not a believer, and he ends up in jail, and he becomes, a, he becomes a believer, he becomes a Christian. And he starts this ministry called Prison Fellowship. And even today, 
our church, many churches, participate in this thing called Angel Tree. That's a Chuck Colson thing. And gifts go to children of children of folks who are incarcerated in prison. So amazing things can happen in prison. I have a book on myself by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. You ever heard that word? Yeah, yeah. He was in the gulags in Russia. And you start reading his story, and you're going, it's a thick book, so I just kind of scanned it academically. And, and Solzhenitsyn's in this terrible place in Siberia for his political views, and eventually he becomes a believer. And then he writes some amazing stuff for the world to know about the gulag and about the torture, about the imprisonment, about his faith. So amazing things can happen in prison. In fact, another person that just amazing life came out of prison was a guy named Paul. He was an apostle. So Paul's a follower of Jesus, ends up in prison multiple times, and out of prison, he picks up a pen and he writes a letter to the church in Corinth, to the church in Philippi, to all these churches. And that's why most of our, much of our New Testament letters came from Paul while he was in prison. God can even use you when you are waiting. You may not be waiting in a prison today. I get that. Well, obviously, you're not if you're watching me right now. But you know, whatever you're waiting for, whatever you feel stuck at, God can still use you. And he can work in your life. I was reading the story about Johnny Lee Clary. He was a KKK grand wizard. And he... He did some awful stuff and becomes a Christian, gets himself out of jail. The FBI had him under their noose. He becomes a believer and eventually becomes a pastor and an elder at a black church. It's an incredible story. Incredible story, but why, why? Why, because God was working when people are in prison. Here's the third thing to do when we're waiting and and God is not in a hurry. Be bold when it's easier to say nothing. In fact, I think that's that's the definition of being bold. I will be courageously say something when it'd be easier to say nothing. And that's what Joseph is going to do. And let's look at this dream. He's going to interpret it. It's not an easy message. And in verse 9 it says, So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches. As soon as it was budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cup. Man, that's a great output, right? That's the kind of story you want to hear when you're in jail. That's what you want to hear. Years ago, I was asked by a friend, hey, would you go visit somebody in jail for me? And I said, well, okay, what's the situation? And so I go come down to the jail and walk upstairs. And they have real strict protocols there, real strict rules. And I get in to visit this person, go into the room, and you pick up the phone. And then there's a glass plate, and then they come in and pick up the phone. 
then you can talk. So I'm sitting there waiting for this person, and they finally come in, and I've never met this person, and they sit down, they pick up their phone, and they go, who are you? I said, well, my name is Steve Hill, and I'm a pastor at Grace Community Fellowship, and -and so-and-so asked me to come and just uh, talk to you for a while, and he goes, what? I thought you were my lawyer. They got me all the way out here to talk to some pastor. And he was pretty upset. And he said some things that I'm not going to tell you. But anyway, so he said, I just want to get out of here. Just want to get out of here. Where's my lawyer? He was very agitated. And I'm glad there's glass between us. So I keep talking to him, finally get him a little calmed down because I'm that way, so soothing. (laughs) And then we begin to talk. Just begin to talk. About what had happened, I said, hey, uh, here's what God can do in your life. We have a discussion right then. He'd calm down. Now then, it's my experience that when somebody's in prison, you don't want to be there. That's no duh, right? I want out. It's also my experience that when you're in a difficult spot and you feel like God is not hurrying up on you, there's no answer. You pray there's no answer. You pray there's no answer. You're thinking this. Hey, Lord, I thought you said this. And you just feel like you have nowhere to go. And you just want out. You just want out. And if you're dealing with a lot of pressure, you have a lot of emotional pressure, financial pressure, family pressure, relationship pressure, and it's there all around you. What you want is relief, and you'll do anything to get it. Instead of asking the question, Lord, am I supposed to wait through this right now? You see, when we're all emotional, we can't even think that way, but I think Joseph clearly is seeing this. He knows this. So he gives this, gives this cupbearer the great news. Doesn't take a lot of boldness for that. So here's the next one, the baker. He says this, verse 14, but when all goes well with you, he's still talking to cupbearer, remember me, show me kindness, mention me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing wrong to deserve being put in the dungeon. So he's saying, hey, I'm here and it's and life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Reminds me of the movie. You ever see the Shawshank Redemption where Andy is talking to uh, Morgan Freeman, Cameron Red, and, and they're having this discussion about, let's break out of prison. Let's, let's get out of here, he says. And when he comes down to us, it comes down to a simple choice. Get busy living or get busy dying. So get busy while you wait. Get busy. See, Joseph is compassionate, and he's also compassionate to tell the truth. And here's the baker's dream in verse 16. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said, I too had a dream. I'm ready to get out of here, Joseph. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of my basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Ooh. Doesn't that sound wonderful? 
You know, it's pretty bold to tell somebody something that they don't want to, that's not good news, right? Do you know what impaling is, by the way? Do I need to describe that? I will. It's when a pole that's really sharp goes through the rectum and out the mouth. Okay, it's, it's awful. It's awful stuff. And he tells the baker that, and that's exactly what's going to happen. Joseph is bold in telling each of them that this is going to happen. There's no guarantee, but Joseph believes it's going to happen. Joseph tells him this. He's bold with his speech. In verse 19, it says this. Verse 20, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to him in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Bummer, right? After all of that, the cupbearer forgets him. After all of that, he doesn't tell Pharaoh, hey, I met this guy along the way. Hey, we all do that, right? We make promises we don't fulfill. We talk about things and don't, well, go through with our words as well. We plan on calling an old friend. We think we're going to send a text. We think we're going to send that email. And Joseph probably sitting in prison going, well, what if he doesn't tell him? What if I'm still here? What if, what if, what if? Right? What if the cupbearer never, ever remembers? What if I die in prison? What if I never get to clear my name? What if my family never knows that I'm alive? And we have the same what ifs. What if I lose my job? What if my spouse walks out? What if I have to live in my car? What if... I don't, I don't have my dreams fulfilled. We live with what ifs. What if I never get married? What if I don't have children? What if my retirement isn't where it needs to be? What if, if my job doesn't work out? What if I run out of money? The what ifs are just long. And that's where Joseph is. What if no one ever remembers me? Now, I'm going to tell you what to do during a what if. Are you ready? Here it is. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. How big is your God? That's the question to what if. You need to ask yourself, how big is my God? Because all of these what ifs, you just need to think through for a second. Who is this God that you have trusted? He created the whole universe. He's responsible for everything we see. He's responsible for life. He created life. I'm made in his image. Jesus Christ is the managing supervisor of the universe. If he can tell, uh, tell the moon how to orbit the earth and the earth how to orbit the sun, I think he can handle everything in my life. Right? He's the all-powerful God of heaven. So when I live with these what-ifs, I'm in this prison, I'm in this place of despair, I'm in this place that I'm stuck, you're feeling betrayed, you feel like you're being, being trapped in something, you feel like you've been forgotten by people, remember that your God is big. You have a big God. And this big God is the supervisor of the universe. God never hurries. So hurry up and wait. What do you do while you wait? You trust him. 
You trust him. Verse number four, the final one, God will never forget you. While you're awaiting in prison or waiting and being trapped, whatever that is, God will not forget you. And in, verse, and in Genesis chapter 40, we end with Joseph still in prison. But what you see all through the chapter is that God is with him every step of the way. Now, this song is so old. I don't even know if I want to say it. You ever, you ever heard the song? The, the lyrics go like this. I was in the right place, but it must have been the wrong time. I think the Grateful Dead sang a version of that for you deadheads. It was Dr. John originally in the 1970s. And that must have been Joseph's theme song. I was in the right place, but it must have been the wrong time. I'm not going to do it. I was saying the right things, but I must have used the wrong line. I was on the right trip, but I must have used the wrong car. My head was in the right place, but I'm wondering what it's good for. Right now, there are a lot of people, Jesus followers, who are waiting impatiently. I get that. And you feel emotionally like God has forgotten you. Can't get my kids into school. My marriage is in trouble. I don't know what's happening financially. My business is about to go under. You just list all, all the things that life brings. And then you begin to think, where is God? And what Joseph really clings to is that God is with him every step of the way. He has the conviction that God is aware of his situation. God knows everything. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows all the circumstances. Nothing catches God by surprise. When we have the conviction that God has not forgotten us, it keeps us going right now. He has not forgotten you. He's with you every step of the way. Back when I was a farmer, a long time ago, I was a farmer. And here's how it kind of worked. So you would plant a crop. In our case, we'd plant wheat. And where I lived, you planted in September, hard red winter wheat. And then you would get it into the ground with a planter. And then you'd wait. You'd wait for it to germinate. You'd wait for it to sprout. You would wait for it to grow some. You would wait for the weather to warm up. You would wait for the wheat to get mature. You'd wait to get to the harvest. It's like seven, it's like nine months of waiting. Just wait. Now, do you know what farmers do when they wait for the crops to grow? I can tell you. You go inside your house and you watch reruns of Survivor. No, that's not what farmers do. They go in and watch Andy Griffith. We all know that. <laughs> oh, they watch reruns of American Idol. No, they don't do that. You know what they're doing? They're getting ready for the next one. They're getting ready for the next one. So we would plant wheat, and we were already getting, you know, prepared for the one after that. It's like this. We're waiting, but we're busy. That's what you do. It's the Christian life. You're waiting for God to do something. You've been praying. Get busy. See, while you wait, get busy. You get ready. You get ready. We get ready for the answer in advance. 
Do you see that? That's trust. You get ready for the answer in advance. You keep waiting. So you interviewed for a job. You're waiting for that dreaded call back. They said they'd call on Monday. It's Tuesday. They said they'd call on Monday. It's Wednesday. Now you're in a panic. Anybody been there? So you're in a panic. They're not calling back. They said they'd call back on Monday. Well, what do you do? Well, you know what you do? You keep, you keep interviewing at other places while you wait. You trust God that you're going to get a job. You trust God that you're going to find Mr. Wright, Mrs. Wright. You trust God with your future, but you don't be passive. Passivity does not help at all. I have this other saying up here. What God does in us while we wait is as important as what it is we are waiting for. In other words, while you're waiting, while you're waiting, God is doing something inside of you. And as you wait, you trust, you struggle, you have this intense feeling, and you're just waiting for God to do something. And God is working inside of you. And the moment that you stop struggling with that, God will stop working in your life because you're not having that tension inside of you where you are trusting him when it's not working out. And then you just continue on. You're not persevering. You don't have that endurance. And Joseph had that endurance for 10 years in a prison. 10 years in a prison, he's waiting for God to do something incredible. And during that time, God is working in his life. You see, while you are waiting for the right school, the right person, your family, your finances, whatever else is on your list, you're waiting for all of that. God is working in you. And the moment you stop waiting patiently because God is not in a hurry in your life is the very moment you stop being transformed by the Spirit of God because you are running away. And that's what God wants to do in your life. So God is not in a hurry. So what do we do? We hurry up and wait. It's Friday. Jesus is hanging on the cross. Disciples have all run off. No one's there. Then it's Saturday. Disciples are hiding because they think the Romans are coming for them. They killed Jesus, they're going to come and kill us. Saturday must have been like eternity to them. They're waiting, they don't know what's going to happen. They're confused, they're scared. They're huddled up in a secret holy huddle. And then it's Sunday. And somebody tells them, Jesus is not in the tomb. They're like, holy cow. What happened here? And Peter and John run over there and they're bending over trying to look inside the tomb. And Peter goes to John, you go first. I don't like those things. They, they go in there, they look. He's gone. But Saturday, they had to wait one day. But it felt like a thousand days. Right now you're waiting. God is not in a hurry. And I can tell you exactly why. Because he's doing something in your life. Don't fight that. Embrace it. Trust God. And let him work in your life. God is not in a hurry. So hurry up. And wait. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. 
We just pray that as we wait for you to do something in our lives, that you would help us to be patient, that you would help us to trust you. Right now in your life, you could be waiting on something. It's uncomfortable. It's stressful. You have anxiety. You have a little bit of depression from it. But more than ever, you can tell God just right now in the quietness of your heart that you will trust him and that you are actively inviting him to work in your life. Lord, we thank you that you are always with us, even while we wait. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.